Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right? We good? All right, I'm going to give you one more chance because you were asleep and I just woke you up and I apologize. Everybody doing all right? There we go. Hey, good job. Good job. Hey, we're, you're here. You made it. We're glad you're here. We're thankful that you're here. I said last week, and if you weren't here, you missed it, but I said last week, I won't unpack it all like I did last week, but we are officially one year old, to, like today. Uh, and so if you're like, wait a minute, I think you've been around a little longer than that. You're right. We have. Um, go back and listen to the beginning of the podcast last week for the full story, but the first Five years of our existence, we were a campus of another church. They launched us and planted us as a church August 1st of last year. So this past Wednesday, we celebrated our one-year anniversary. And I don't know if you've, if you've been to like a one-year-old birthday recently, but all they do, like the great thing about a one-year birthday is that they just smash cake in their face. So I did that on Wednesday just because I thought it'd be fun. So I just smashed cake in my face. I took some pictures. It was awesome. But, um, but anyway, we're glad you're here uh, because I love to celebrate all that God's doing. Uh, quickly, one thing you just heard global leadership get here 600,000 leaders from around the world for those two days we're going to be one of those sites we want to have you come be a part of that don't let money be the reason we'll help make that happen and let me just say quickly before I jump in some of you in the first service if you attended the first service last week you probably don't even know but uh, in the second service last week at the end of our service we prayed in both services we prayed for our kids as they went back to school and during that moment in our second service, so right before we dismissed, we had a little girl who was standing about right here, and she collapsed. Thankfully, if there's any thanks to be had in that process, thankfully, her mom, who is a teacher, was standing right next to her. And so as she collapsed, her mom caught her, got her down. We had some emergency medical professionals that came. Our safety team, uh, which is awesome, they responded and jumped right into action and, and did everything that we asked them to do. Some of our volunteers, even just regular attenders, jumped in and helped us as the paramedics were arriving. Uh, but I just want to say thank you to our safety team and to our volunteers and to let you know that we have some amazing people that are always here to make sure that when you come here that you have a safe and secure visit and we're thankful for that and that's our promise to you to the very best of our ability we're going to always make sure that happens if you're interested in joining our safety team stop by the information center today we'd love to get you connected if you haven't been to Canton Life that's probably the best first place to jump in today we start a brand new series called homemade last Thanksgiving uh, we were at my house for Thanksgiving, and my kids were outside. They were playing football uh, in the yard, and I had been playing, but I had come in. And, and so then all of a sudden, one of my kids comes running in and says, Dad, the neighbor wants you. Well, that usually means that my kid broke something in the neighbor's yard. That's usually what that means, okay? Uh, not going to tell you which kid, but it's usually Tucker. So that usually means... That, that somebody broke something in their yard. And so I was like, oh man. So I walk outside. I've already got that like repentant, sorry parent face. You know what it is? Like, I don't know what they did, but I'm already sorry about it. So I just walked out. I was like, hey, how you doing? God bless you. How's your mama and them? Like, oh, whatever. It's Thanksgiving. I was trying to, you know, make a point of connection. And she's holding something in her hand. And so she just hands me this like aluminum foil loaf of something. Now that could be scary. Because like some of you, you know, like people in your life group think they can cook, but they can't, right? So you're just like, I don't know. And so we took it home and we unwrapped it in all of its glory. And let me just tell you, I believe that they will serve this in heaven. It was this homemade banana bread that was divine. It was amazing, all right? I ate the whole loaf and wasn't even sorry about it, all right? 
Um, I walked over and I was like, hey, thank you so much. Do you have any more? That's really what I did. But um, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But no, it was homemade. Like even the ingredients that were put, they weren't like box, store-bought, like everything in it to the, to the best of my understanding based on the way she described it was homemade. The other day she gave us homemade pickles. Now, you know, I don't think she grew all of the ingredients, but I mean, as best I can tell, most of it was homemade. I saw on Facebook the other day, and I'm not going to even look to this side of the room where this person is sitting, but I saw where they made like 82 jars of salsa. I'll take as many of those as you want to give to me, right? Because there's something awesome about homemade stuff. Like, it's just, to me, it's better than store-bought. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. If you eat store-bought stuff, so do I, right? It's awesome. I, some of it is amazing, but I just love homemade stuff. I can still, right now, as I'm talking about it, I, I did the same thing as I was preparing, and I was kind of even writing out part of this and saying, like, I can, right now, maybe you have a similar experience, I can taste my grandmother's banana pudding right now as if I had just eaten it. Because there's something about those sensory things that you connect to, and she made the world's best banana pudding. And if you don't think so, I'll fight you in the parking lot today. Like, it was, it was amazing. And so, like, I can still taste it. I, I, I can still, because I, it was homemade. It was hers. I, I think she put, I don't even know how you do this, but she put a little love in it. Like, there was just something about that that helped me to be connected to family and home. And life. Now, let me just tell you that for the next three weeks, we are not talking about food. I mean, it'll probably come up because I talk about food a lot, but that's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking about making a home. And when we talk about making a home, we're not just talking or only talking about building like the actual wood and, and nails and screws and shingles. And we're not just talking about, but over the next three weeks, we are literally going to build a house in this room. Because I believe there is something that we can see in that process that helps us to understand better what God is wanting to do as we build our lives. I believe there is a direct correlation. And I think it comes straight from Scripture. And we read this as we come to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This is what it says. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We are his house. God is building our lives. And you and I play a part in that, in that we have choices to make as we are putting together all of the various pieces of our lives. And so for these next three weeks, we want to talk about what that looks like as we construct lives, and then we take our life and we put it together, we join it together with someone else and their life and the house that God is building in them, and now we are building a home together, and maybe kids come into the equation there, and then maybe if you're not married or you don't have kids and you're single, you go, okay, well, what is my responsibility both now and in anticipation of that potential happening in my future. Maybe I just, I never want to get married, or maybe I'm married, but I never want to have kids. What is my responsibility? How do I live? Maybe say, well, I'm past that phase of life. My kids are grown. I, maybe I'm retired. Maybe I've got grandkids. Maybe I've got great-grandkids. What is my responsibility, and how do I learn from this if I feel like I'm already past the phase of life where I've kind of built some of the things that you're talking about? I believe you can tear it down and build it up again, and you don't have to tear the whole thing down. 
Maybe there are pieces that we can learn over these next few weeks. If we are God's house, if we are the construct of what God is wanting to do, then our lives, our marriages, our homes have something that comes straight from God's word that I believe will change the way that we live every single day. Now, I've never built a home. Some of you have. I've never built a home, but I was very involved as we built out this church. I referenced it earlier, and it was a karate studio and some empty space and then a nail salon and stuff. And so as we were doing that two and a half years ago, and then again about six months ago, eight months ago, we were, we were building that. I was, I was pretty involved in the process, and here's what I learned pretty quickly. You can definitely build something without a plan, but if you do, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Everything that I suggested to our builders where we went off book usually cost us more money and more time. But don't amen me too much. But I'd walk in and I'd go, you know what would sound great? You know what would be awesome if we could just do this? And they were like, sure, we'll do that. I mean, we're, it's going to cost you. We'll charge you. And I was like, it probably won't cost that much. Go ahead and do that, right? And then we'd get the bid back and I'd go, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that, right? Because here's what happened. From the very beginning, we started with a plan. We had a blueprint. We had architectural drawings. We had engineered drawings that they, they, they took way longer than I thought it would take, but they started before there was anything, and they put a plan in place. And that's the same for our lives. If we don't have a plan, if we don't have a blueprint for what it is that we're trying to create, what it is that we're asking God to create in and through us, we're going to be in a world of mess because we're just going to be reacting all the time. Every single day, we'll just be reacting to what's happening. How do we feel today? Well, we make decisions based on how we feel today. And then we get to tomorrow or two or three days down the road or a week down the road, and we make completely different decisions because we feel completely different ways, and now we're off plan. Now we're off book. Now we're not trying to build the same thing that we were building before, and so we have to understand that God wants us to have a plan in mind. A number of years ago, in the early 90s, there was a book by Stephen Covey called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't read it, they've revised it and printed it again. I think there might be like 38 habits now, but seven was a really good number to start. And one of those habits, one of those principles was to see the end from the beginning. It's the idea that you have to flash forward, and I've talked about this a lot because it was transformational for me. You have to flash forward in your mind to some point in the future and what does the end look like? Now, on, your, on the scale of your whole life, maybe you flash forward, and this is not to be morbid, but you go all the way to your funeral. And you say, hey, what do I want the people at my funeral to say about me? Who do I want to talk at my funeral? And then you just work back from there. Well, if I want my family to speak at my funeral, and I could care less if anybody that ever worked with me speaks at my funeral, then I probably need to make sure that I invest my time in my family members so they have something to say and not to avoid those people spending all of my time with my work folks that I don't even care if they show up. Because you don't just arrive somewhere by happenstance, not anywhere you want to be. You, you don't just arrive at the end of something on accident. You have to be intentional. If you say, hey, you know, maybe I don't want to go all the way to my funeral. Corey and I talk in our marriage. We have this, this saying, and every anniversary it comes up, and it's a hashtag now, because we didn't know what a hashtag was when we first got married, but now it's a hashtag. And so we talk about that. And even beyond hashtags and even beyond anniversaries, we will say something like 75 anniversaries. We want 75 anniversaries. Now, I recognize just based on common math that at 75 anniversaries, I'm going to be pretty old, all right? She will still be very young and vibrant. I will be old, though, right? I just hope I can walk, and I, I mean, it's going to be awesome. But 75 anniversaries, and here's what, we don't want to just get to that number. We want to get to 75 anniversaries and be able to look at one another and say, faithful to you, you and you alone, honest with you, 
There was nobody else. It was you and only you. We've raised our kids to the best of our ability. We've had grandchildren. We've invested in them. Great-grandchildren at that time. Who knows? Great-great-grandchildren at that point in time. We want to be able to look at each other and go, hey, we, we made it. We had a plan. We had a vision. It wasn't always easy. It's not been easy all the time. But we got to that point because we wanted to do something. We, we loved God. We loved our family. We loved our children. We invested in them. But that's what we want to do. And let me just say to you, as our church family, I want that for you as well. But beyond that, let me just tell you, if I ever have to cheat on anybody, I'm going to cheat on you and not on her. If it means choosing to spend time with you or spend time with, I'm choosing her. If it means spending time with my family or do, now I understand emergencies happen. And if I, I'm going to go be it there, if it's an emergency, if there's some, but I want you to know that's, that's what I set out. That's the vision that I had. That's the blueprint that I'm asking God to orchestrate in my life. We'll make sure that you're taken care of. We'll make sure that there are other people. But if I can't be there, you got to know it's because I said in this moment, the best decision for me and my family is to be there. Other times I will leave them to come be with you. But that, because I, I have a plan, I believe God's given. This is where I'm investing my time, investing my resources, because I want at the end of my life for my family and my, my wife, my children, my grandchildren to say, we know that he loved God, first and foremost. And we know that he loved us. And then we know that he loved the church. I don't want to live my life in such a way that the priorities of my life get so out of balance that my kids ever have to wonder, does he love the church more or does he love me more? I don't want my wife to wonder, do I love other endeavors more than I, because I've got a plan. I'm building the life that I believe God has called us to, to honor God and then honor family. My grandfather, who passed away when he was 59 years old, had a a heart defect from early in childhood. He had his first open heart surgery when he was 40. He had his next open heart surgery, I believe, when he was just in his early 50s, and then he passed away when he was 59. When he was being rolled back for that surgery, here's what he said. He said, you come to moments like this. And he said, it's in moments like this when you determine that your priorities have to be God, family, everything else. God, family, everything else. I don't want to have to end up on a hospital bed and be sorry that I ever got those priorities out of whack. Because I believe that we are God's house. He's building us. He's forming us. He's shaping us to be all that he desires us to be. Early in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 7, it was a part of that first sermon that he ever preached. He talked about building something. Now, there's a lot of themes in Scripture. One of the major themes, especially of the Gospels and of the New Testament, is the idea of like agriculture, farming, seed, sowing, reaping. Now, I've, I've admitted I can't grow a thing. They say, you can't kill this. It's dead in 24 hours when I get my hands on it. I I don't know what it is. I just can't. I don't have that ability. But that's a major theme of the Gospels and of the Bible. But another huge theme is the idea of building, building something. And Jesus, early in his ministry, said this in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
Here's what I want you to know. You and I, if we are to, to believe the words of Scripture, we are the house that God is building. And as we are building our house, we have to choose the foundation of our lives. Now, today you can't see the foundation of what we're attempting to build, but you just assume that there's something under here. And, and what we did is we just started to build the frame, but it is built on a very solid foundation. Right now, that foundation is this stage. And we were joking as we were building this. I say we. I didn't have any part in the building other than just the vision for it. Hey, because I'm terrible. Like if I take a hammer, it just gets bad. So I have no agricultural green thumb. I also have no mechanical building ability at all. I don't even really know what my contribution was. But as we were building this thing, we, we were talking about how to make sure that it was sturdy, and I was reminded that the guys that built this stage told me that it was almost hurricane-proof. And I was like, I don't believe that. And man, we rolled stuff up onto this stage. We did all kinds of stuff. Now, I don't know what they were saying about me, but he said, you could stand right there, and you could jump up and down and take weights and carry all kinds of weights up with you, and that stage is not going. They put all kinds of metal studs. They reinforced it. Then they put two solid sheets of the thickest plywood you have ever seen in your whole life, not all over the stage, I don't think, but pretty much right where I'd be standing. I was like, what are you trying to tell me? Right? <laughs> But this is sturdy, so much so that when we expanded the space, they jacked the stage up and moved it back. I did not think it was going to survive. I gotta, but I mean, again, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I was just like, that's not going to happen. I came early that day just to watch them attempt it. And you know what they did? They jacked it up and they rolled it back. And it survived and it's sturdy. And so the foundation of what we're building here is sturdy. And Jesus said that when you are building anything, you got to make sure that the foundation is right. And here's the question. You came into this place today. You can say you know who God is. You can say that you prayed a prayer of salvation at some point. You can, you can say, hey, I knew most of the songs we sang today or for the ones I didn't know, like I read the words off the screen and I was singing and I was excited about it and, you know, I was engaged on some level. But here's the question. Is the foundation of your life a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not just is it an ingredient in this awesome banana bread loaf, like it's just one of the things you sprinkle in. Like I work hard and I make good money and I provide for my family and I hobby well and, you know, I go to church and I have this, you know, relationship. I pray to prayer and I read my Bible. No, no, no. Is the foundation, is everything that you are building your life on founded on Jesus Christ? It's not just one part. It is the basis of everything is your marriage grounded on, foundationally set in the work of Jesus Christ? If you have kids, is your parenting foundationally set on Jesus? Or is it just one of the things that you talk about with your kids? You know, get good grades, and we're going to, you know, we're going to, like, take 80% and set it aside, and we're going to give 10%, we're going to save 10%, and you spend the rest, like, all of those good... No, but do they know, first and foremost, that a relationship with Jesus Christ is the foundation by which everything else that they will ever do in life is founded? That's what Jesus was saying. Because he's saying, if you try to build your life on any other foundation, when the storms come, and they will come, I promise you, when the winds kick up and the waves kick up and the things that are going to happen in your life, when that happens, if your life is not built on Jesus, the rock, then the house is going to topple. 
The walls are going to come falling down. You're going to lose the safety and security of what you've built because if it's just built on what you can accomplish, I promise you, there are people in this room that can testify. Out of nowhere one day, you're going to find out that they're making cuts. You didn't see it coming. You've worked hard. You were actually in line for a promotion. And instead of promoting you, you're on the list to be cut. In that moment, if all your life is built on is your ability to provide for your family and your ability to work hard and your... The house is going to start to topple if it's built only on that. If your marriage, if your home, if your parenting, if your family life is just built on trying to be good and trying to be kind to one another and not to rock the boat and you know, not make anybody upset, I promise you there will come a day when the, the storms that rage against you the stress and the turmoil that fights against you, it comes up, it kicks up in your life and you realize that there is not a sure footing and you don't know how to respond. I promise, the, the most important thing that you can do is have a sure foundation. And here's the truth from 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So let's talk for a second. What are we saved from? What are we saved from? Now, the easy answer here would be we're saved from hell. We're saved to heaven. And before you get all messed up, I believe that, okay? 100%. But for just a moment, let's just expand our thought about what that phrase, what that word may actually mean. Saved. Now, I believe that if the only thing that we focus on in that equation is that we were bad, we prayed a prayer, and now we're good, or we were going to hell, we prayed a prayer, and now we're going to heaven, we've missed a humongous part of the equation. We've missed a huge part of the equation. Look at this quote. This is from N.T. Wright. He says, if we make salvation about going to heaven, there is an awkward and embarrassing gap between our baptism and our funeral. I'm going to read that again because that's pretty good. If we make salvation about going to heaven, there is an awkward and embarrassing gap between our baptism and our funeral. The idea here is that if God is building something in our lives, that there is something that God wants to do with our lives from the moment we accept him to be Lord and Savior of our lives. Forgive my sins. Lead my life from this point forward. There is something that God wants to do from that point until he chooses that your life would end. If not, your life would end the moment after you made that decision. And if not, then there's this gap now. There's this space of time when you and I are called, according to God's word and according to God's will, which we'll look at in a second, that we should do something. We should build something on the foundation of what he desires. And what he desires is that everybody would be saved. If you are ever a part of a ministry or or, or any kind of faith-based thing where there is this truth, I use that in air quotes, presented, that God doesn't want everyone to be saved. Doesn't mean everybody will be saved. Doesn't mean that everybody will, will, will accept the free gift. But if they are talking about the fact that God doesn't want everyone to be saved, I believe that goes against every single verse of Scripture. I'm, God is just. He is holy. He is righteous. He must punish sin. But I believe, according to what God's Word says, especially right here, what we, that God wants all people 
to be, he wants all people to be saved. And the question comes a lot to pastors and to other people. They say, well, how could then, how could a loving God allow people to go to hell? If God loves everybody, if God wants everybody to be saved, then how could a loving God allow for people to go to hell? Now here, let's, let's talk about what hell is. I believe that hell is a literal place. There's not enough time to unpack all of that. But what hell really is, is an eternal separation from God. An eternal separation. Forever and ever and ever to be separated from God for eternity. So the question becomes... If that is the ultimate punishment for not choosing life with God here, not asking him to forgive our sins and lead and guide our life, then why would God take your decision here on earth to be separated from him and change that for eternity when you've already determined you don't want to be with him? If you say on earth, I don't want to be saved, I don't want to have a relationship with God, I don't want him to forgive my sins. I don't want him to be the Lord of my life. Then why would God force upon you an eternity different than what you determined to do on the earth? No, no, no. You would say, if you choose not to be a believer, and what I mean is not just believing that God's out there, but to receive the free gift of salvation, that the only way to God the Father is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You say, okay, on the earth here, I'm choosing not to receive that free gift. Then I believe that what Eternity is about is God just extending your earthly choice. I don't believe God's changing something in eternity if you chose not to live with him on the earth. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It's the idea here that if we are going to build our life on the foundation of who he is, God desires that all would be saved. But it's not just enough to believe that there is some spirit realm out there and God is this figment of he's out some. No, no, no. I believe that God desires to have a personal relationship with you. That he wants you, according to what we just read, he wants you to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, to grow in who he is and what he is and what he desires to build in your life. And so we say, okay, well, we got the foundation piece. If the foundation is Jesus, we'll come back to that in a minute. If it's a relationship, I want to build my life, my marriage, my home, my parenting, everything that I, I want to build that on the foundation, then what am I building then on top of that foundation? Look at this. This is the message translation, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 29. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The sun stands first in the line of humanity that he restored. And we see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it by calling people by name. And he called them by name and he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Here's the promise. If we are building our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ then what we are building is to allow our lives to be shaped and molded so that we more and more look like God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now, all summer long, we've been in that Fruitology series, Fruit of the Spirit, and we've talked about these are characteristics of God. And so as we demonstrate those fruit, those characteristics, we look more like God, we sound more like God, we act more like God. But every single day of our lives, what we are constructing is that we would be conformed 
we would be molded and shaped into the image of the Son, according to Romans 8. That means that every conversation that I have, I have a choice. Does this help me to reflect Christ more or less? Every interaction with my spouse, does this help me to reflect Christ's love to my spouse more or less? Every time we talk to our parents or parents every time we talk to our children, does this help me reflect the love of God towards them more or less? Does my obedience, children to my parents, reflect my desire to be obedient to God more or less? In the way that we conduct ourselves on our jobs, in the way that we handle finances, in the way that we construct our life. I am being conformed, made into the image. I am building my life with the help of God so that I look more and more like him. Imagine, if you will, that you showed up the day you were saved. If that was a reality for you, and some of you in the room, I know you've never made that decision, and that's fine. But you say, okay, the day that I was saved, I got a blueprint. I got a set of drawings for what my life would look like from here on out. And wouldn't you know it, now that I look back at those drawings, what I see more and more is Jesus. What it appears that God is building in me is Jesus. That's what the word Christian means. Christian just means little Christ. So if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to walk around carrying with me the very best of my ability with the help of God, being spirit-led, as we talked about all summer, a life that reflects Jesus. That's what I'm building. Over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll build this out and we'll talk about some other aspects. But I got to start today and go, what is the foundation? What are the things that I put on top of that foundation? Here at Canton Church, and there's a lot of great churches, here's what we believe. We believe we exist because generations matter. And what that looks like, which we'll unpack a little more next week, is that we believe there is a place here for every generation to come and not just to find a place to belong, but a place to invest. We don't ask those who are older to stop serving so the younger folks can come along and fill that spot. We don't ask the folks that are younger to wait their turn. We create opportunities for our kids and kids' life to serve, create opportunities for our students to serve. We create opportunities for us to serve alongside of one another and do ministry alongside of other and receive all that God has for us alongside, because generations matter. We believe that some of you are here because people before you prayed prayers and you're the answer to those prayers. And we believe others of you, you're, you're here today praying prayers for those who will be impacted generations from now because generations matter. But here at Canton Church, it really revolves around just a couple of things. If we're gonna be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, then we believe it matters that you are engaged in these corporate experiences. Because what we do here is we worship God together. And we learn how to worship God individually. We pray prayers together and we encourage one another through those moments of prayer. When we're weak, we lean into the strength of others. But when we're strong, we stand strong so that those who are weak can find a place here to be encouraged and lifted up. We go to God's word and we learn from God's word what God may be saying to us individually and corporately because we wanna to grow together. It's important that you're here. And I realized like I'm literally preaching to the choir because you're here today. So this is just for the people listening on podcast, all right? Wherever you are right now. I don't know. It's important that you're here. Statistics would tell us that regular church attendance is in decline. 20 years ago, regular church attendance was three times a month. Now people consider themselves to be regular church attenders if they attend one time a month. That's 12 times a year. 
And some of us right then we go, well, I'm doing better than that. <laughs> right? That's the flesh. Kill that off, right? <laughs> but here's, here's the question today. And I realize I'm a pastor, and man, this sounds like the most pastor thing I could say. I don't know how else to say it. You need to be in church. Not just because you need it, but because we need you. We need you to come and be strong for those that are weak on any given Sunday. We need you to come and sing songs, to join with the songs that are being sung across the room because there are people walking in that today they just don't feel like singing. But when your voice is joined with other voices, they hear it and go, you know what, I can make it one more week. I believe that God is here. I believe that God will go with me. This is not in reaction to something. Our attendance is up. I'm not telling you something because there's a problem. I'm telling you something because I want something for you. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And here's what I believe. I believe that church attendance will not get you to heaven. But I believe that church attendance will make it harder to go to hell. That's what I believe. You may not believe that. And if not, let's talk in the lobby. But I don't believe that church attendance gets you to heaven. But I believe if you are regularly engaged in the lifeblood of a church, and if it's not this one, go find one. I'll help you. Because I believe that regular church attendance, church engagement, makes it harder to go to hell. I believe that if you are regularly in church together, it makes it harder to get divorced. It doesn't make it impossible. I believe it makes it harder. If we're seeking God, if we're trying to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ and build our lives to conform to the image of who Jesus is, if we are God's house, and we are in God's house regularly, engaging in God's word, engaging in worship, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. Here's what I believe. I believe it is harder for you to get outside of that image of Jesus Christ. It's not impossible. You have a free will. You have a free choice. The person you're married to, the person that lives in your home, they have a free choice. You can go do whatever you want to do. Church attendance doesn't get you to heaven, but it makes it harder for you to get to hell. It makes it harder for you to get divorced. It makes it harder for you to just be mean, ornery, just nasty, evil person. I promise. Give it a try. Come and find yourself in environments where the name of Jesus is being lifted up, where the word of God is being brought forth, where worship is taking place. And say, God, I want to build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I want the house that you are building, my life, my marriage, my home, I want it to reflect the person of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. Just a moment here of personal reflection between you and the Lord. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, I recognize that there's no better time than the present. I recognize that maybe I'm not even a terrible person. I'm actually a pretty good person, or maybe I know I got all kinds of issues. But today, I want to ask God to forgive my sins I want him to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to just pray a prayer to get to heaven. I actually want him to be the Lord of my life, leading my life from this moment forward. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I want to change that today. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, it's not about salvation in this moment, but I want to make sure that my life is built on Jesus and is being built to conform to the image of Jesus. And everywhere that I fall short, I want God to correct me. I want relationships in my life to bring me to correction. And I want to build a life 
that looks more and more like Jesus. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you so much for those who lifted their hand today. Several hands in this place that acknowledged you, you as the Lord and Savior of their life. God, we thank you today that you forgive sins. We thank you, God, that you save us. But it's not just saving us for something way down the road. It's, it's about what you want to do from this moment forward. And as long as we have on the earth, God, we're asking you now to lead and guide their lives. And God, now I pray that for every person that lifted their hand as well to say we want our lives to reflect Jesus. We want the lives that you are building in us to look more and more like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 